into a, what I consider to be a really organic family of God. And uh, the more I sit with Peter and the more he challenges me and the more I squirm into the corner dreading those moments. <laughs> um, I always say, Mel goes, you looking forward to your time with Peter? Yeah, nah, yeah. You know, look, there's, there's a bit of both, you know. I love my dad. Oh, yeah, but sometimes those questions. What I've discovered is there's a wisdom that flows out of Peter and why I, I'm so encouraged and why we're as a family so privileged to have him. There's a wisdom that flows out of him that comes from his depth of relationship with Jesus. Um, that's where I believe all wisdom comes from, true wisdom. And so he's spoken that wisdom uh, into my life and that's affected uh, my family life and I'm not there yet. I still make a thousand mistakes but I would have made a thousand more if it wasn't for Peter's input into my life. And so that's why I long for what he's going to bring. So can we put our hands together as he brings us a word in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. It's very kind. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, it's wonderful too be back amongst you again. One of the uh, great privileges and joys of my life is to uh, be able to come back to communities of faith uh, on a regular basis and just see how God is moving and see what God is doing and to be a part of that. I recently was in Cambodia. Uh, I've been going there over 20 years and connecting with what has now become the largest church in Cambodia in Phnom Penh and uh, just to see the move of God that's happening over there and to realize that in our own small way we played a part in seeing that happen. Uh, extraordinary you know, outpouring of the spirit the church we've been going to has had uh, around about 600 people saved this year and they've integrated 450 of them into the church. Um, they've planted uh, in the last 18 months about 180 churches across Cambodia and uh, there's just and that's just one you know church that's got all these amazing things that are happening and, uh, and but I come back and I long for that in my own country I long for that in my own uh, city I long for that in my own state and, and my own nation and desire to see God doing amazing things last Sunday night we uh, I wasn't at church somebody had very tragically passed away whilst I was in Cambodia and they uh, wanted me to do the funeral and so I needed to see the family on Sunday night to make the arrangements for the funeral that happened last Thursday and so uh, I've been told that uh, there was a young man who came to church and he was consuming a bottle of wine during the service um, which is unusual in our place because it's an alcohol-free zone and, uh, and in his inebriated state he started to challenge the preacher from the floor. I would prefer if none of you do that today. You can drink the wine, just don't challenge me. And, uh, um, and, uh, and, and I'm actually really inspired by the fact that that happened. I'm inspired because I see that God is trusting us with broken people, that he would actually allow someone who is that broken uh, to come amongst us knowing that we would love them, knowing that we would care about them. And, uh, and I think the Lord is actually wanting to uh, find communities of faith that would love an influx of broken people, just like we were really broken when we came to faith and certainly I'm still broken in places as well and continuing to be transformed and healed. And, and so, um, so the, the idea of what is, what is a church, what is a church here for? Why, why, why does the church exist? What's your view of the church? Um, is really important as we 
uh, move into what I feel is a season in God for our nation where we are going to see uh, literally hundreds of thousands of people come to faith and God is going to want to plant them in communities of faith and see them discipled into a loving relationship with him. But that will all depend on what our view of the church is. I'm sure that there would have been some churches where the young man who brought in the bottle of wine last week wouldn't have been treated as kindly and gently as he was at our place. He probably would have been forcibly removed and that's not necessarily how God would want to manage that situation in my humble opinion. And so this morning um, I'm wanting to speak to you around the whole idea of how do you work with the Lord to see a church of influence in a community arise. And I think that's connected to what your view of the church is. So some people's view of the church, nobody here today probably, but some people's view of the church out in the community of Ballarat today is that at best the church is a bunch of moralizing hypocrites and at worst it's a destructive force in people's lives a la the Royal Commission into uh, abuse of children. And so there is a view of the church that it is irrelevant, it has no place, and it actually is a negative force in the life of our culture. Another view of the church uh, would be that it's a provider of religious goods and services. Again, I hope nobody is in that situation today, but they come to church and they're looking for a certain style of worship, a certain style of children's ministry, a certain style of youth ministry. It's all about the religious goods and services that people like myself and Lynn and Andrew and Mel and others, we are commissioned with creating programs that meet the needs of people. And, uh, and that's a wonderful privilege. But a what's in it for me mentality means that people tend to graze in church life and where things don't work out, they then move on and graze in the next paddock. And, uh, and that, you know, we, we see that uh, taking place in various ways at different times for different people. Another view of the church is that it's a place of fellowship and a place of contribution. It's a place where we are discovering what we can uh, bring to the table, what it is that we can contribute uh, in our fellowship and in our servanthood. And so we want to contribute. We want to help those that are amongst us to grow and to flourish and to uh, have lives that are meaningful and have purpose. And then another view of the church is that we are actually wanting to join ourselves to what God is doing. We're prepared to pay a price for joining ourselves to what God is doing because we want to create an inheritance that we hand on to the next generation. And we recognize that, that, that God is actually a generational God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thinks generationally. He thinks about what we're doing now and the impact that it will have on people in 50 years' time, 60 years' time. It's not just an immediate what's in it for me and it's not even an immediate what am I contributing, but it's what is God doing amongst a community of faith and how do I, as a lover of God, a lover of Jesus, join myself to what he is doing, knowing it will involve a sacrifice, knowing it will involve paying a price, but that's what an inheritance is. When you receive an inheritance, you receive something that you didn't pay the price for. And uh, unfortunately, my mother passed away 31 years ago in an aeroplane accident in Burma. And, and, uh, and out of that, we received an inheritance. But, but I hadn't done anything for that $40,000 that came into our lives. And 30 years ago, $40,000 was able to help us buy a house, which has enabled us to get into the housing market. And, and we've taken that inheritance. And we've continued, Lynn and I, to pay a price and add to that so that our children will have a greater inheritance when we 
go to be with the Lord. And so when we think about church, we're not just thinking about what it means for today, we're actually thinking about the next generation and what is the price that I'm paying so that I pass on an inheritance that the next generation can actually stand on my shoulders and take this whole thing further. And so our view of the church um, influences and affects how we welcome people and how we do life with people. It influences when we are partaking of religious goods and services. It only takes a little thing for us to be dislocated out of a community of faith and we go and find somewhere else. When we're in a place of contributing, it's really great, but then you know, we can get tired and we decide to step back. But there's a spiritual space into which we can step and live because we actually want to see the kingdom of God advance through our lives and the impact that that would make. So there's a whole range of views of church and, uh, and what your view of church I think is really important to the future of whatever community of faith you're a part of and I would imagine the majority of you are a part of this community of faith that we're in today. Jesus has a view of the church as well. Uh, surprising, but he does have a view of the church. Um, John chapter 17, we find uh, Jesus speaking uh, in prayer to the Father and uh, we see him looking into the future and seeing the church and uh, he prays this in verse 22 the glory which you have given to me I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me I personally believe that this is Jesus view of the church this is his view of what it means for us as individuals to come into oneness with him. But then how do we come into oneness with one another? The Godhead is based in oneness. It's the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit working together as one. They live together in unity. And so Jesus' view of the church, he prays, The glory which you have given to me, Father, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. And so uh, he, he wants us to value oneness. He wants us to value relationship that is able to weather the storm of disagreement. He wants us to value what it means for another person in the way that I live rather than me being right. He's not looking for us to be right. He's looking for us to be one. And often when we take a position around being right, we break oneness because we don't think the other person deserves our love until they agree with us. And so the view of the church that Jesus has is that we would be one with one another. The word glory here, the glory which you have given to me, Father, I have given to them, actually means to offer a personal opinion that gives value. And so what would it look like from today onwards that you would only ever offer personal opinions that gave other people value in your workplace, in your school, in your neighbourhood, in this church, that whenever you spoke about another person, you would always find something to say that gave them value, that you wouldn't find something to say that undermined them, you wouldn't find something to say that actually criticised them. Now, I'm not suggesting that that means you have to agree with everybody, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with Donald Trump and everything that he represents, but I can still find great things to say about him. I can find great things to say about anybody. I can find great things to say about my enemies because there is the Imago Dei in them. They are sacred. They are created in the image of God. But we live in a culture that is elevated. Let's pit two opinions against one another and see which one comes out on top. 
And so what would it look like if we were to do what Jesus says the Godhead does, the, the, uh, the, the opinion that you've given of me, Father, that adds much value to me, I now give to them. And so God is always only offering an opinion about you that gives you value. Jesus only ever speaks to the Father and the Holy Spirit in a way that gives you value. He never speaks to them about you in a way that doesn't give you value. And so, so in the pursuit of oneness, because that's what I think Jesus, Jesus' view of the church is that we would make oneness the goal. And he then goes on in verse 24, I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity, that we'd be perfected in the pursuit of oneness. And what I've discovered in my relationship with Lynn is that if I pursue oneness with Lynn, I actually need to change the negative things in my life so that she is blessed more by who I'm becoming. And so what we find is that generally in life, what happens is that when we are pursuing oneness and we disagree or we hurt one another, we withdraw and we then start to throw stones across the fence or we take out our swords of theology and start to want to cut one another up rather than going, no, 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 in this place of disagreement, how do I find oneness with you? What has to change in me that I can be still one with you even though we've had a bit of a breakdown in relationship? And so Jesus' view of the church is that as we live together in community, that we would actually discover what has to change in me that I can live in oneness with you, regardless of how you behave, regardless of what you think. What do I have to do? How how more gentle do I have to become? How much more forgiving do I have to be? How much more humble do I have to be? Where does submission fit in this relationship with you and that I don't make being right and I don't make getting my own way and I don't make thinking that I've got all the answers the goal the goal is as Jesus said his view of the church is that we would become one with one another and that in the pursuit of that oneness we would actually be perfected that perfection means that we're being transformed and we're coming like him what would it be like to be a part of a church that that's how we live together What Jesus then says is that if we can do that, then the world will know that the Father sent the Son, which is exactly what we want. We want people out in the community not to see us as a bunch of moralizing hypocrites at best, nor at worst a destructive force because of the way that we treat people. What we would want to see, and as churchgoers, we don't want to just be consumers of religious goods and services, or we don't want to just be people who fellowship and contribute as long as it works for us. No, what would it look like to be this sort of a church? That we actually are making the gathering together, the reason that we're in a community of faith is that we're pursuing oneness. We recognize that in that pursuit, I am perfected as I take responsibility for my stuff and become who I need to become. Because then the whole world, the people that we want to meet him would look on us and go, I want what they're having. Because this is what is so attractive to everybody. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody's looking for love. And so this is Jesus' view of the church. I think in Jesus' view of the church, some of those other examples that I go, don't even occur to him. Because he thinks that the gathering together as a community of faith, whether it's in small groups, whether it's on Sundays, whether it's in children's church, whether it's we're out in the community and we're doing what we're doing, he's saying, look, what I'm really wanting, the highest goal for us as communities of faith is pursue oneness, change what you've got to change, be perfected in your pursuit of oneness, and then the whole world will know that the Father sent the Son. And so that's what he holds in front of us And sure, we do all of our programs and we do all of our stuff and we do our worship, we do our giving and and all of that's really important. It's really significant. But the most significant thing in Jesus' view of the church is oneness. 
we find that Paul, strangely enough, has the same idea. Surprise, surprise. And so we turn to the book of Ephesians and we go to chapter 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That sounds to me like the pursuit of oneness. I'm going to find oneness with you when I'm humble, when I'm tolerant, when I'm gentle and when I'm patient. This is how you build oneness with other people. Is that you're humble enough to go, my opinion isn't necessarily the right opinion. It's a good one, but it not, not, may not be the best one at this point in time. I'm humble enough to be able to listen. I am gentle so that when I disagree, I don't get angry. I'm actually gentle and I want to know why you believe what you believe. I'm not trying to prove that you're wrong. I'm patient. I recognise that life is a journey and change takes time and I'm not expecting you to suddenly become something overnight that you were never able to be because of your background and I'm tolerant with one another in love. And so these are the characteristics. And then verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so then Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And so for Paul, Paul's vision of the church, Paul's view of the church, is again the pursuit of oneness. He just unpacks it in more detail than what Jesus did. And so, so he, Paul's view of the church is not the programs that we run, it's not even the things that we do together. It's about who we're becoming as we live in community, as we live with one another, as we live with God. And all that other stuff is really important. I mean, you know, as uh, has already been said this morning by Andrew, I, I lead a church down there in Melbourne and I'm responsible for, you know, 40 staff and their salaries and money and programs. Apparently we've got 98 ministries in the life of our church. I find that hard to believe, but they once told me we had 74 computers. I found that hard to believe as well. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, flip, how do we get so many of those things? And, uh, and, so, so, and all of that's necessary, but, but if it overshadows and takes over God's view of the church, which is the pursuit of oneness, then we've missed, the, we've missed it. Yeah. We, we don't actually understand what it's all about. And, and I celebrate all of the programs that we do to reach the lost. I celebrate the Oz Awakening thing that's going to happen in November and the Franklin Graham thing in February. And I celebrate going out on the streets and preaching the gospel. And I celebrate all of that. That's all great. But Jesus said the key to people knowing that we're followers of Jesus is that we would be one with one another. It's no wonder people don't want to become Christians. I mean, flip an heck. You look at the church and you go, why would I want to be a part of that rabble? You know. Just saying. So what would that look like for you? you know, let's sort of earth it right now. Let's just sort of put the rubber on the road. Don't just spin the wheels in the air. But what, what would that look like for you? I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end to have Dave and myself, maybe some others, uh, pray depending on how many of you want prayer. But would you want to receive an upgrade in your pursuit of living in oneness with other people? Would you want to receive grace this morning from heaven that that would enable you to be elevated a love above being right, to be elevated above thinking your opinion is the most important opinion in the room? Would you want grace to be able to be humble with others that you're in dispute with, that you could be gentle with those that you're angry with, that you could be patient with those that are a pain in the neck? 
that you would want grace to be more tolerant so that you would actually be diligent and pursuing unity. And I find it interesting he uses the word diligent because it means practical application. It means purposeful pursuit. It means thoughtful engagement. There's a diligence in which I make this really important and, and that I, I, I want to actually be this sort of person not just for myself, but so that those looking on who are yet to meet this wonderful person that we've worshipped this morning would actually go, I want to meet him. Because if in meeting him means that I can be like you, that's well worth the decision. Interestingly here, Paul, uh, you know, sometimes the verses uh, and the chapter headings don't help us particularly uh, because they were never written like that. He says, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore. Whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because actually he's having a conversation with whoever he's writing to. And so he's leading them through a series of thoughts. And so in this one, the therefore, we begin to find out what the therefore is therefore actually back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we find Paul beginning this discussion of oneness. He says in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, oneness, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, oneness, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so he has these two sorts of analogies that he's got in place which are representing the same thing. He's just using some different language to say that as we are built together, as we are fitted together, it represents something of heaven being on earth. I wonder if we were to ask the community when they look at the church, do they think that uh, the, the church actually represents heaven on earth? Because that's, that's what we're meant. We're ambassadors of heaven. When, when you go to the Australian embassy in another country, you're meant to find Australians who represent Australian culture. And that's a place of safety for us if we are in difficulty, that we would be, uh, it's a place of refuge for us. And so, so we're actually meant to, when people look at us, we're actually meant to be a, look like heaven. And that's what Paul is, is saying. The therefore is there because he's already started the conversation, but he then comes through a number of ideas about being fitted and put together. And so then in chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, what reason? The reason of being built together and fitted together as one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of Christ. And then in your Bible, there'll be a dash. Because he has a thought, and then in verse 14, he says... For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So what's happening for Paul is that he is, he's got this image this in his imagination, this view of what God has given him of what the church would look like. And he says, and there's some reasons why God wants the church to look like this. And so the first reason is in the first 13 verses, and then the second reason is in the next foot from verse 14 to 21. And then he says, therefore. So, so, so this is my view of the church that we'd be built together. And there are two reasons for that. So therefore, if once we've gone through all that, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, admonish you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Because when we walk like this, there's a reason for it. And so there are two reasons here. The first reason is the one that I really want to look at this morning. The second reason we won't have time to look at. So the first reason is in, begins in verse 2. For if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace 
which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made to me known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was made known to the sons of men, as it is not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. To be specific. And so he says, oh, I'm rambling a bit. Let me get down to the bottom line. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so you're being built and fitted together for what reason? There's two reasons. The first reason is that so the Gentiles can find a place. But remember, the Gentiles are enemies of the Jews. So the, the, the Gentiles are seen as dogs by the Jews. And so, so the, the first reason why we're to be fitted together is that we're actually meant to figure out how to live with people that we think are less than us. <clears throat> I'm sure you don't think like that a lot. But there are the odd occasions where you think you're better than some people. Just the odd occasion. Where you think you know better. And so what Paul is pointing to is he's saying here that the reason why we need to be fitted together is because we've got to make room for everybody even those that we are culturally disconnected from and actually see as being dogs or as enemies. We need to have reconciled diversity. We don't all have to become the same, but we all have to learn how to love one another in our differences. And we've got to find our way through into this space. And so he then says, um, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the work of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And verse 9, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which has for ages been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The first reason is that not only would we integrate those that we disagree with, but we would send a message to the world of the spirit that we can do something that the devil couldn't do that we are proving to the demonic powers and we're making known to them the mystery that people can actually live in oneness with God because the devil couldn't live in oneness with God. The devil was Lucifer, the archangel of worship. He thought that he could run heaven better than God and so he said, I can ascend to the throne. I know better than you do. My opinion is, more, is higher than yours. I'm going to take over your throne. And he created the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness was created on the basis of challenging Lucifer's oneness with God and he convinced a third of the angels to join him in rebelling against oneness with God that's exactly what he wanted Adam and Eve to do was to rebel against their oneness with God that's what the temptation in Genesis chapter 3 is all about you are already one with God you walk with him in the cool of the evening you are his children you're in his family but if you eat of this fruit you can be like him will you exchange your oneness with him for being like him if Adam had only gone time out let me go and check with the one that I'm oneness one with to see what he thinks and I'll get back to you and let you know what we're going to do. But he didn't do that. He took into his own hands the decision and broke oneness. Adam and Eve exchanged oneness with God for being like God, knowing good from evil. The only problem is that we can't know good from evil because we don't know everything. We're not omniscient. And so, so the devil is actually inviting Adam and Eve to become his children that he would be their father. And Jesus says this, you are of your father the devil. 
What's he saying? Well, you, when you are living in a world of thinking you know what is right and what is wrong, when you think you know best, you are actually living in the kingdom of darkness because that's what the kingdom of darkness is built on. And so the manifold wisdom of God is, look, Satan, there are people who can live in oneness with me. They don't have to rebel like you rebelled. They actually will trust me. They'll actually let me be the God of their lives and they will surrender to me and they'll live in humility with me. And so, so one of the, the greatest things that we do when we pursue oneness and we abandon being right and wrong, we learn how to be gentle with those that we disagree with. We, lead, we learn to make love the centre of everything that we're on about, that that's what marks us. By this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Not by our programs, not by our buildings, not by but our love for one another. When we make that the centre, we are actually declaring to the world of the darkness, we are no longer a part of what you're up to. We are a part of what God is up to. My heart breaks when I see pastors crucified by their churches. My heart breaks when there are church splits where somebody decides that they know how to do it better than the other group of people. My heart breaks when I see people disbanded. They break their relationships over theological questions that really, quite honestly, are somewhat irrelevant in the overall scheme of things. My heart breaks when marriages break down. And if you've been through a marriage breakdown, I'm not in any way being critical. I'm just offering commentary that my heart breaks for you. My heart breaks when children and parents are dislocated from one another. Because this is the... My heart breaks because it's an expression of the kingdom of darkness. It's not an expression of the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light says be diligent in trying to figure out how to live in oneness with one another. Is it easy? No. Marriage is one of the most difficult things on the face of the planet. Lynn and I, you know, we were separated when we came to faith. We were going to get divorced and we spent five years rebuilding our marriage. We celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary next year. We have invested in this thing big time. And we've had major arguments and we've thrown things at one another. And, but, but we've found our way through the other side to where we have this wonderful relationship with three grown-up children, with nine grandchildren. The fruit of doing this sort of life is so much better than doing life the other way. The fruit, I, I look at my own congregation now and the fruit of us pursuing how do we love one another and make oneness. The fruit of it is extraordinary. That's so much better fruit than the first 15 years. Why? Because it's Jesus' view of the church. It's Paul's view of the church. And we're actually saying to the world of the Spirit, you're defeated. And as we declare defeat against you, the world looks on to us and says, we want what they're having. So being fitted together, the first reason is that we would learn how to agree with those that we are actually hostile towards because we're saying we can be one with one another and we can be one with God, which is something that you couldn't do, devil. The mystery that we are going to show you is that people can actually live in oneness with God. The one you decided was wrong. The one you decided you could do better than. The one that you hate so deeply. We're going to show you we can live in oneness with him and we can live in oneness with others. And we're going to stick it right up here. 
The second reason is in the, in the next set of verses and what it actually speaks about is how we need to change so that we can live in oneness. It's about how God strengthens our weaknesses, but I don't have time to talk about that. So Paul begins this conversation, we are to be fitted and built together. Here are the two reasons why. The first is so that we can stick it up the devil. The second is so that we can actually be perfected like Jesus said in John chapter 17. And this is how you get perfected. This is how the spirit works in you. Therefore, when you get these two reasons happening, therefore, live like this. This is how you live to make this happen. This is, and when you live like this, then there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one saviour. I want to suggest to you today that if, if Mount Clear Church of Christ could begin to make the pursuit of oneness in your relationships with one another, in your marriages, with your children, with your neighbours, with your workmates, with those you study with, wherever you go, oneness is the thing that you are pursuing. You're pursuing oneness with a person who just cut you off in the traffic by not abusing them, but by blessing them. There's a reason why they cut you off. You might think it's because they're a bad driver. That might be the bad reason. Bless them to be a good driver so they don't do it to somebody else. But on the other hand, they might be in a hurry to get to somebody who's dying that's really important to them. You see, even in the little things, we assume that we're right and somebody else is wrong. We're actually called to be a blessing, not a curse. We're called to bless people even when they do bad to us. We bless them. And in blessing them, blessing flows back to us. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble and go down some rabbit holes that won't be all that helpful. Let's all stand. If I can have the worship team to rejoin me, thank you. So my thought, my big thought for you this morning is, what is your view of the church coming into the building today? And what do you want your view of the church to be as you leave? Do you want your view of the church to be lifted to a place where Jesus and the great apostle, the great founding architect of the church, Paul, located? This is what it means to be in community with one another. This is what it means to be married. This is what it means to have children. This is what it means to be in a workplace. This is what it means to be in a school or a university. This is what it means to do life. Sure, disagree with one another. Sure, have your opinions. That's all great. But in disagreeing and all of that, how do I pursue oneness with you? That you still feel loved by me. That I'm not going to withdraw from you. I am going to be diligent in pursuing and persevering. I think we need grace to do that. I don't think that it's possible for us to do this in our own strength. I certainly haven't been able to pull it off in my own strength. So I'm just assuming I've got some friends in the room this morning. And so I really felt like the Lord wanted to create this moment uh, you know, for the next 10 minutes or so, uh, however long it, he wants to, but just for us to, to engage with him around all of this. It was good preaching this morning, but that's not going to change your life. What will change your life is how you respond. What you do with it. And so my invitation for your consideration this morning is, how are you going to respond to what you've just heard? You... I'm more than happy to disagree with me. I'm more than happy for you to do that because I then have a chance to love you and to be patient with you, to find another way to convince you that I'm right. No, not really. But... 
space I want you to think of someone well if there is someone in your world that you are in dispute with there is someone that you are separated from I want us just to take a few moments just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what he might want you to do about that I'm not necessarily suggesting that you need to ring them and see them because that might be too much too soon Although you may, the Lord may ask you to do that. But what are the steps that you would need to take to move towards oneness with that person? It might be that you just need to begin a journey of prayer and asking the Lord to strengthen you to know what to do. But would you be willing with anyone that you are in dispute with, anyone that you are separated from, anyone that you are distant from, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do to begin a journey towards oneness with that person? And so, Lord, I, I just pray right now that in these next few moments as we stand here in your presence, that you would speak to us, Lord. That you would help us, Holy Spirit, to know what you would want us to do to go on a journey of being diligent in seeking out oneness. I'm asking, Lord, for wisdom. Wisdom to flow to people. I'm asking for insight. I'm asking for courage, Lord. I'm asking that people would have courage to say yes to whatever it is that you are suggesting. I pray for humility to fill our hearts, for forgiveness to flood our souls. about oneness it's really a matter of what the Lord's asking you to do and you have no control over how they're going to respond and so sometimes you know there are some people in my life who just don't want anything to do with me anymore but my pursuit of oneness with them is to bless them and so I just pray blessing on them pray that their lives would be blessed that they would prosper that they would find what they need in life and so in my heart, I am one with them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in their hearts, they're one with me. I can't make them do anything, but I can monitor my own world. So the second thing that I'd like to do, as I said before, as we go back into a time of worship, is that if you would like a prayer this morning for grace to diligently pursue oneness, to, to grow in humility, to grow in gentleness, to... Have the Lord empower you and accelerate you into some of those spaces. I'd love to pray with you, David. I'd love to pray with you. There may be people in what is a prayer ministry team. However that works here, I don't know. But we'd just like to pray for you and ask that the Spirit would help you in that space. So let's worship. And if that's you, feel free to come forward whenever you're ready uh, so that we can just come and pray with you.